0: Welcome back to another episode of Time Out with the Sports Doctor, where life, sports, and medicine intersect. I'm your host, Dr. Derek Burgess.
1: We do not want you to work for a dollar a day, and you can get $15 an hour. In order to get that, you got to get in college.
0: I have a, This is my first in-person interview, and I have a very special guest here with me today. Uh, my grandfather, uh, Charlie Burgess, affectionately known as Big Daddy by many, and we're very happy to have uh, Big Daddy. Actually, to be able to be here with us, and thanks to uh, him having his vaccine, me being vaccinated, we're able to be in the same room again, and really enjoying having him here. And didn't want to pass. Um, an opportunity to be able to sit down and really talk to him about um, a lot of things that he's experienced over the years. Um, Starting this platform, uh, we really want to be able to dive into the background of people's life stories to really understand what they had to overcome to achieve greatness and you know we adversity is talking about adversity to someone growing up in the 20s and 30s um, is without question. So. We're gonna get started. We're gonna go through his life. Uh, We're gonna talk about uh, things that he's experienced and just many pearls of wisdom that he would like to leave with us. Uh, So welcome, Big
1: Daddy. I'm more than welcome, at least to be in your home with you and your family, Uh, say thank you so kindly. (laughs)
0: Absolutely. All right, so Big Daddy, you were born, if I'm correct, August
1: 1928, correct? August 18th, August 13th,
0: 1928. 1928. So uh, many years, at least over 60 years after being freed from slavery in the 1860s. Uh, but tell us how it was growing up as a young child for you in the 1920s, late 1920s and early 1930s.
1: Well, the things were rough. I was brought up on the plantation of Albert Devonport from the age of six to the age of about 10. Then I moved off to the plantation of Abidevenport on the plantation of Ben Fennel. And with there from until I was uh, 17 and we moved on in a home of our own in Marshall Show that was built by my brother. We called him Shay, but he was named after daddy, named Bonnie Burgess Jr. So you lived on a plantation even though you were free. Explain that to me. I don't understand your question by even though we were free. It's no different in plantation and slavery. It's just a different in the use of the wood. Plantation, we had to work from sunup to sundown. Plantation, we worked for 50 cents a day. That was the kid. My daddy and mother got a dollar a day, not a dollar an hour. That was plantation. Plantation, we had to do what they said, when they said, how they said uh, we get kicked, beat, and nothing to be done about it, no jail for them because we were their slavery or their plantation. uh.
0: So right, despite the law said you were free, you were still tied to the plantation.
1: Still tied to the plantation. Couldn't go until they said we could go. As long as they could show in on their record that my daddy and mother still owed them $300 because they kept us up through the winter, then we had to stay until our debt was paid. And your debt never get paid until they got ready to let you go. Then if they didn't let you go, then you had to slip away. Now, my daddy did not stay on the plantation no longer than three or four years. They didn't let him go. He slipped away at 12 or 1 o'clock at night. That's how he got away.
0: So when you were a kid, I know you said you worked, you know, for 50 cents a day. A day a day but tell me you are able also able to get some formal education tell me about that
1: i was able as long as we were on the plantation to go to school every other day now how in the world could a student learn something going to school every other day i'm talking about from the 3rd grade up to the 6th grade I went to school every other day and had to uh, chop cotton, uh, corn, pick cotton, or whatnot. Hey, by the way, speaking about picking cotton, would you believe at the age of 13 years old, I picked 350 pounds every day down through the cotton picking season? 300 and 50 pounds wow. and quit before sundown. That's amazing. That's amazing. <laughs> and But you were still supposed to be going to
0: school at the same time, getting your education.
1: Still going to school every other day, getting my education.
0: So tell me about um,
1: you went to school until you were how old? I went to school until I was in the Uh, 11th grade. I was promoted to the 11th grade. When I was promoted to the 11th grade, then I was old enough to to be working for my brother. I was on his farm, you know, and I worked on his farm until I got um, married. And 19, I left this farm and started working at TVA on construction job at the age of 19. you end up getting your GED. Tell us about that. My GED, I got it at, 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 at UNA. Okay, University of North Alabama. University of North Alabama. Then after I got it, uh, Selma had a school going on in Carver County under the church. The church w- was in an organization, and I went there at the Coatland Cabinet for 10 years. And after 10 years, then I went to Selma for three months in order to get my diploma. I was there for Christian education. That's how that I got my degree in Christian education. And I was 63 years old when I got my diploma and at Salmon University. So dropped out of
0: school at 16, earned your degree at 63. Why did you keep fighting to get that
1: degree? I kept fighting because education was very important. I got hired at rental uh, at the age of 21. And then when I got hired at rental, I got hired as a janitor. I worked as a janitor for 16 years after... The margin with Dr. Martin Luther King after the Civil Rights Bill was passed. Then the plant manager, <laughs> they called me in his office after that we was free, and said to me, "I would like for you to be a phone, and I would like for you to be over the janitors because." and over the truck driver because you have been working with them for 16 years. I said to him, I suppose you're trying to do, set me up to be fine? I said, being uh, being a, a, a foreman is a non-union job. Being a janitor, I am in the union. And the plant managers told me, he said, I promise you, that you will not be fired if you accept this job. I said, well, what if uh, you'll find me? What can I do about it? I said, I am the president of the Martin Luther King Committee. I am the vice president of of the NAACP. I am the president of the local uh, Voters League, Carver County Voters League. And hear what he told me. He said that you can be the president of anything that you want to be in. And as long as you hit that gate and leave out of here, it ain't my business what you be. And I took it because I could keep my position and continue to do what I'm still doing now, and that is working for the community, trying to see to us being treated right, because we still got rules and regulations in Carver County, or in the state of Alabama, or in the United States, where you cannot do what other folks do.
0: You just went over a lot, but I want to kind of unpack a little bit because you said right. so. We're in the early to mid 1940s now. You're working at Reynolds, which is a metal producing plant, right? So you're working at a plant. You mentioned Dr. Martin Luther King, right? So we are prior to the civil rights movement really kicking off. Right. But what was the what was going on then as far as meetings and different things preparing for the civil rights movement?
1: they were, Dr. King, were preparing for the Civil Rights Movement. Now, in Selma, I marched with them in plenty of time, had two to 3,000 people in a march, marching from Selma to Montgomery, from Montgomery back to Selma. And when we would go marching in Birmingham, we would be marching from the sheriff's office to uh, to the uh, uh, 16th Street Baptist Church. We marched from there, there marching in order to get free, but we did not get free until after the death of Martin Luther King. I marched with Martin Luther King and here in Mississippi, uh, I marched with them in Chicago once. I marched with them in several, several times, and I marched with them in uh, in several different states, including Chicago, Illinois. Man, mm-hmm. not marched Dr. King marched all over the world because. He was trying to get the United States to do away with what they did and go on wanted to free us. I was just one of the 200 of the 300. I did not uh, have no leadership with Dr. King. I knew Dr. King. He knew me personally. I would speak to him every day and I would not be in the first line or the second group line or the third group line. I'd be back there with the crowd and we would be marching together trying to do, had to go over and over and over and over until he got killed. And after he got assassinated then we got freed under uh, uh, after his death.
0: So tell me about uh, the day that Dr. King was assassinated. What was the mood like? What, do you recall where you were when you found
1: out? I was that boy. Then we got the news at Reynolds Plant that Dr. King been assassinated. the realm shut down for five minutes and we all stood right where we were went in prayer right where we were and got the message plant-wide and in the state of alabama why everything shut up saying that dr king have been assassinated told who he was assassinated by and everything and how and his assassinator got away, and so forth and so on.
0: But a very sad day, I'm sure.
1: Very, very sad day. So, what was the last time you were you saw Dr. King before he was assassinated? I saw him and, and was marked with him in Mississippi a month before that he was assassinated. I marked with him there. And what was the mood at that time? Because I know that there was pressure
0: from many organizations, hate groups. Right. um, And pretty much pending death. And it sounded like in his last years, he pretty, in his last days,
1: he knew that death was around every corner. He knew that the death was around every corner because uh, he, he had the last speech that he made that he told concerning that uh this was his last time and he encouraged us to march on and don't stop
0: so dr king visited um lower mississippi it was march 19 1968 at st paul methodist church okay Um, that was on a rally for the poor people's march um, that was about to happen in washington dc so that was Literally only two weeks before his death, and that's when
1: you were. Hey, by the, by the way, that march you're talking about, it was a, it wasn't quite a million people there. Guess who was in that march? Who was? I was. Right. So history, <laughs> right. We have history, and that's why this is
0: so important because Dr. King's not here, Medgar Evers, many of the leaders, right? But you are still part of that core. Part of it. You know, like you said, you didn't have a leadership position. No. However, you were locally very involved as a pastor. Right. As a leader in the NAACP. That's correct. Uh, which was the church and NAACP and the movement were all one at that point. All oh, one. You're right. So, you know, when I was a kid, I always remember getting report cards and mm-hmm. always showing you my report card. And, you know, you always give us money to encourage us. Why did you keep pushing us to get our
1: education? I kept pushing you because I had already asked God to bless you and your family. I had asked him to bless you and your family, what I call your family, I'm talking about, it wasn't mature, you and your brother, and I was wanting Y'all to wind up with a family, so that they will keep the uh, everything moving or move from one hand on up to the other. And when you went to college, and I kept not only college, I was the president of the Martin Luther King Committee, and I believe would can you get a and you get a scholarship yes, from sir. that man, yes, sir. Yeah.
0: Tell me about the bombing in Mississippi. I mean, excuse me, the bombing in Birmingham,
1: Sixteenth Street Baptist Church bombing. Uh, we marched there. When I say we, I'm talking to Dr. Martin Luther King. We marched there on a Saturday. We marched from the uh, from the courthouse, but really, it's from the. Uh, I'm going to call that What the courthouse. From the courthouse to 16th Street Baptist Church. And from 16th Street to back there, that was the time when Bull Connor uh, sick the dogs on us, you know. And he had the uh, water hose. I'm talking about what you put house like. He had, he had about four or five trucks. And we're talking about two or 300 people were margin there. He throwed that water hose on and knocked people down by the hundred and washed them down the thing because they did. And the dogs went out there and jumped on some. Now, the dog didn't jump on me. Neither did the water hose jump on me. Because here's what Dr. King said, anybody can Take the water holes. Anybody can be slapped on one jaw and turn the other. Anybody can be. I want you to get on my right. Those of you that cannot be kicked in the butt without kicking them back, cannot be slapped by slap. I want you to get on my left. I got on the left because I wasn't going to have no white man kicking me in the butt. That I, I didn't care if it did kill me. You weren't going to kick me. And kill me, he gonna kill me because I will kick him back, you know. See. So I got in the left. I never was beaten by them. Uh, when I was in seven, I never was whipped because they was on the horses whipping them that was on the right. Didn't bother us on the left. And I did not get a whipping because I couldn't stand it. So
0: what were the moments like leading up to a march? Say, you know, the day before, the evening before, or even the morning or hours before. What would you do before the
1: march started? Before the march start, we would be sometime at least two hours in the church being instructed on what to do, on how to do it, being instructed. To follow the rules, the regulation, our instruction came before the march.
0: Right. So that, it took a lot of discipline. It and wasn't just took, everybody show up and we're going to start here and we're going to walk to the courthouse.
1: That's correct. Because you had to do
0: it the way that you Dr. had King to wanted. do
1: it the way that he wanted to. So,
0: what do you feel was so powerful about nonviolence?
1: It was so powerful because we we wanting to be free, you know, you know. And we had that song, free at last, free at last, thank God Almighty, I'm free at last. That was the type of song that we would be marching and singing that we were free at, we wasn't free, but we were singing, free at last, free at last, thank God Almighty that we are free at last. We did that until we were free, you know, according to the rules and the regulation that we got now, you know. We're still not free. You're not free, you know. Yeah, you can go to school with white, black, you can do anything you want to do, but you're still not free, you know. We came a long way, you know. Got to come a long way. Your big daddy, 90, two years old. I do not kiss the devil that I caught when I was six and seven and eight and 10 and 15 and 13 years old, you know, see. But uh, I'm not free, but I'm still uh, more freer now than what I would. I hear a lot of people say, oh, I like to go back to the old time. Well, if you had asked me, what I like to go back to the, the whole time? i tell you there devil, no. No, but I want to go back chopping cotton for 50 cents a day. You know, when I worked for rental, when I retired working for rental, i getting about $15 an hour and said, I want to go back to the old time away. So you, know, you served how many years in AACP? I served 32 years as president of the, as the vice president of the uh, NAACP.
0: So 2018, your final year, I got to speak as the keynote speaker at the scholarship banquet. What that, did that mean to you?
1: That mean, that, 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 that's a blessing to me. I just mean every time, that, I even talk about it even at home. My grandchildren would the last, see you spoke at the last banquet that i had as the president you know
0: Mm -hmm. yeah you know so what do you feel is so important about um as we as you know african americans achieve more success right so we're still being the first you know in many different things we have our first black um, first female vice president now but it's many different things we have the first that are serving in many different positions why do you feel it's still important for us to be able to have leadership positions even in 20, uh,
1: 2021? Well, I feel in 2021 is the beginning of the ending of the Martin Luther King's. I said it that way to say it this way. you talking about nationwide. You ain't going to find too many more people let me go to uh, Carver, Lauderdale, and Franklin County. I only know two more people other than myself that marched with Martin Luther King. Now, they all dead, and gone. A, lot, a whole lot of people there uh, asked me, why are you getting the Republican Party such a hard time? The Republican Party, the Klu Klux Klan, the White Sisters the Council, and the hate group was the one that called me at three o'clock in the morning and said, You do you if you ever go to sell a margin with Martin Luther King, we're gonna bomb the house and kill everybody in there. What was your response? My response was, Listen, let me tell you one thing don't you call my house at two o'clock in the morning no more. If you want to bomb my house, you do it. And stopped calling and slammed the phone down every time they would call. And about a month later, they called me and told me, "I ain't calling you no more. You the biggest fool I ever talked. Won't meet and all. What you gonna do? I'm in the hands of the Lord. It was God that kept them from bombing me and my family. You know, because you put yourself out there. I and put my trust in God. Right. Yeah. You know? Even when I went down there marching, I went down there with my trust in God, in God. Even when the highway patrol stopped me, my whole family went back. My kids were back there asleep. Your daddy was in the bus. He was the baby. And the highway patrol, they was intend to uh, kill us all. But when they saw, all those kids back there asleep, highway patrolman told me, he said, I'll tell you what, I'm going to lead you out of Selma. I want you to follow me. And when you get out of Selma, I'm going to point my finger and you keep on and I'm going to watch you to make sure don't nobody follow you. And he said, you keep on and you get on out of here. And he even said to me, and don't come back no more. But I didn't come back no more until they started marching. Mm-hmm. And then I'm back again, because God had us. And I thank him for
0: it. Right, now the civil rights movement, like you said, you had a, a trooper, a state trooper, a police officer help you that night because you were truly in danger, right? Yeah, truly in danger. But that was not the only time that you had a positive interaction from a white person no. in the civil rights movement. Right? No, no, it wasn't the
1: only time. Yeah, God always make a way out of nowhere. Yeah, I was in, we was in, we was in Birmingham, and my wife were over setting up people to register to, to vote, and we had. <laughs> We had we we had a portion of Birmingham, Tuscaloosa, and night quarters, uh, night us in Birmingham. And the 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 policeman said to her, said, listen, said, night done caught you here. You ain't gonna get out of here alive. Said, I'm gone, I'm gone, I'm gone. Ask you to follow me and I'm going to get you out of here. And they followed up from on to Tuscaloosa until we got into Lawrence County. Uh, and, 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 and that's where we were protected. We supposed to have been guided there, but God made the way, you know. I don't never take nothing out of his hand. You know?
0: So one thing is, Uh, Being able to be a doctor, so I know that I'm standing on the shoulders of, you know, you, Dr. Martin Luther King, my father who integrated the school systems, you know, and many people who gave their lives and bloodshed. So to see me be able to achieve the fact of being able to graduate from medical school, you know, I know that every time you get to say, Dr. Derrick, you feel a lot of pride. Uh, Tell me about that.
1: I feel a lot of pride and I really mean it to my heart that Dr. Derek, that I said to you on a day-to-day basis, even now when I call you, know, let me speak to Dr. Derrick in a minute, even it, it's Dr. Derrick, Dr. Derrick. It's Dr. Derek because I feel so proud of you, doctor, that you are Dr. Derrick, that you, are working at this hospital, that you are getting the benefit of keeping the dream alive of Dr. Martin Luther King and the march alive of your granddaddy who marched with Dr. Martin Luther King that could see his grandson being Working and holding this position, but not to stop right there. You know, I would like to see you, Dr. Derek, to carry the light on for now. We're going to call this the light, you know. We're going to call this the light. At the age of 92, somewhere down the line, Big Daddy got to get out of here. Right. I know that I'm going. I ain't ready to go right now. I ain't gonna stop. But when Big Daddy leave out of here, hold your right hand up for Big Daddy wants this, this, the boy, to be passed from my hand because I'm gone home to live with the Lord. It's gonna be in your hand. It will be left up to you to tell your children and your children, children, that I got the torso in my hand, and I'm going to encourage you to move on and keep the dream alive of my granddaddy and the modern king. There's the hope.
0: So you're talking about passing the torch, symbolically passing the torch. Yes,
1: you pass. I don't want you to wait until I'm gone because I've already asked the Lord to let me live 107 years. Don't be surprised. Now. Hey, if, I lived, to <laughs> if I lived 107 years, I asked him and <laughs> he have blessed me to be 92. And really, if you want to know the truth about it, I feel just as well now as I did 20 years ago. So tell me what you did two days ago all day. What did you spend your day doing? <laughs> You had a you and your wife had a pitiful garden down there. Ah. <laughs> thought that you gonna get some tomato, <laughs> thought that you go get some cucumbers, you weren't gonna get you even get your seed. And I went down there and got your garden all fixed. Now that's a garden from now I, I don't want you I, I don't want you to, to now as long as And and if you get a little old tiller and we'll get up and then plant something in there. And you'll get butterfly. All right. Well, I appreciate it. My pitiful garden has been saved. My pitiful
0: garden has been saved. All right. Well, Big Daddy, what do you want to tell your family, the audience, anyone listening, this younger generation, like you talked about passing the torch? What do you want to leave? What's your final thought to leave?
1: My final thought is being left. We are far Young sure that that's with your your three final children. time out. Okay, now hear what I'm. We listen what this old ninety-two year old man said. You listen what the old people got to say. We do not want you to work for a dollar a day, and you can get fifteen dollars an hour in order to get that. You got to get in college. You got to. You got to take the example of your daddy. You know, your daddy wouldn't be no doctor if he dropped out. I dropped out of school when I was in eleventh grade. I dropped out because I'm on plantation. They had me going to school every other day, and when I did go to school every other day, doctor, how, how did I go learn something and did everything? I was just as dumb as I could be. It was the God that had given me the the wisdom and the knowledge and able to finish the uh, uh, college at the age of 62. It was God, you know. It was God that gave me the knowledge to do. God will give you what you want and what you ask for. And if you make it up in your mind, that's what I want. And if you do that, you will keep to it. You won't keep it. You're gonna be get registered and get voted. You will not keep it, if you don't have in mind what you want to be and what you want to set to, because that touch had to be passed on from me to my grandchild and from him to you, and from you to someone
0: else. Thank you. Well, it's definitely been a privilege. You know, it's an honor to be able to sit here with you to talk about your life, to talk about your accomplishments, to talk about passing the torch, um, to talk about the next generation, um, because this is something that I don't take for granted. There's many people who never got a chance to meet a grandparent. Uh, definitely not to be grown and to be able to sit by a 92-year-old grandfather with a sharp memory to recall, you know, your past like it's yesterday. So I do not take it for granted. I really appreciate you being
1: here. With me the next level ready then let's get it poppin there ain't a better option got you coming right back time out with the sports doctor welcome to the podcast let's go